Hi everyone, welcome to the Shaky Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's the 19th of October, 23, it's episode 103, and today we're looking at who the real terrorists are, Hamas or the West. So welcome to the podcast today, everyone. I thought I'd choose a fairly non-controversial topic today. Um, I mean, seriously, though, that those of you who've known me over, you know, if you've been following this podcast over the last couple of years, you'll know that I do, I don't shy away from the kind of, those kind of topics that are likely to get you cancelled. And I mean, the, the Lord knows I've said enough over on this, the podcast over the last few years to get me cancelled about 10 times over, to be quite honest. But I think there is something particular about uh, the situation in Israel at the moment, which is it's very, very difficult to speak into because you don't want to be either a sympathiser with a terrorist or you don't want to be anti-Semitic. So it's, it's one of these things where it's very, very difficult to actually say anything intelligent. Um, and, but I said last week I'd try and say something intelligent. I've still got some books to read. I've ordered a couple of books. I've got them to read. But um, there's something which I kind of wanted to say, I guess, following on from what I said in the last couple of weeks. So that's what we're going to be looking at, really. Uh, But before we get on to that, um, let me just say that if you've got anything you'd like to add, as always, do feel free to leave a comment. You can do that on YouTube. Just leave a comment down below underneath the video. You can leave me a message on Telegram if you use Telegram, the app on your phone. Or you can email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And uh, it would be great to, to hear any of those ways. If there's any comments, any any suggestions, anything like that, uh, do let me know. It's really good to hear from you. And if you'd like to support the show, there is also a buy me a coffee link as well. And uh, I really do appreciate uh, all of those things. You know, I'm very aware that I don't want to be like one of these American televangelists who are always asking for money. Um, but it is one of those things that's, um, you know, uh, it is really helpful. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I won't go into all the ins and outs of it now. But anyway, um, thank you so much to those of you who have who been in touch, who support me and all, all of those things. It's really, really appreciated. OK, so let me, as usual, I've just got a few uh, articles and things I've seen this week, which I found helpful to share with you. So the first thing is an article in The Standard, and it's called, um, the title, Every day girls are being forced to have degrading violent sex their boyfriends have seen in porn. It's written by an author called Holly Bourne, and she was for um, years a sort of online sex advisor. So she would have, you know, young people would come to her with their problems and she would she would advise them. And what she was um, what she found, which is I mean, this is deeply disturbing. But what she found is that so many of the young people were coming to her talking about things like rape, talking about things like, you know, um, young women particularly being forced to do things that they didn't want to do because they just felt that that was that was the expectation. And I mean, if you need any further evidence that our world is in an absolute state when it comes to sex and relationships, then I mean, do have a look at that at that article because I think it it just goes to show the depths of the problems the problem that we're in really. 
as a society and it's it's pretty shocking but sadly that i think part of the problem is i wasn't really shocked because i've you know i've seen other things like this this is just par for the course now but uh, you know just putting it all all there like that you know it, it just it brings it home okay a couple more things to mention there was a, an article on the daily skeptic which i thought was interesting saying pfizer may go bankrupt financial markets realize as companies value plummets to below pre-pandemic level and um, those of you who are uh, watching this on youtube uh, you'll see the graph there but this is uh, a graph of the pfizer share price and it peaked in around december 21 january 22 and then it went down all the way now um, it's kind of half or less than half of what it was then so it's a huge change and uh, the the particular the person who was writing was saying um, is it to do with the or partly to do with the, you know being embroiled in legal disputes about the covid vaccines maybe um, but I, I thought that was an interesting an interesting thing what would happen if pfizer did go go bankrupt so i think that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on um yeah i just thought that was an interesting article anyway and the last thing that I wanted to share with you is another article from Daily Skeptic saying that the um, UK HSA's 100 COVID models are not science. So the UK Health and Security Agency, I think to the COVID inquiry, they provided a document listing 100 scientific papers that they had um, consulted about lockdowns. And... Carl Hennigan and Tom Jefferson, bless them, have done sterling work analysing these papers. And what they have done is they've produced a document kind of going through these, these papers. And you can read about it. But some of the things which they say, like that there was no standardised definition, almost no definition of what a COVID case actually was. I think in, in all but two of the papers there was no cases much of it was based on modeling and it was using assumptions and things which were quite unreliable so yeah i mean this is just stuff that we knew anyway really isn't it but it, it looks like all of the 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 data that there wasn't any and it, it just looks like a lot of institutions actually just came up with models and papers to support what the governments wanted to do you know it's just the way that science has become politicized science now is a political tool and i suppose you could say that that's that was just bound to happen it was inevitable because you know scientists were um you, you know because when when you start to wield power then you know you go along with it don't you and you know scientists know they've got the power as it were um, because they're the ones who really hold the, you know, who wear the trousers, if you like. That's not quite the right word, to, you know, right way of putting it. But, you know, that they're listened to by the government. Then they will do things with, and say things which are useful because they don't want to lose their power and status. And that they don't want to be uh, seen as, you know, um, going against what the government would want. Well, that would be, you know, wouldn't want to do that, would you? Um so there we have it, I think, Exhibit A, looking at all of the, the supposed science which the lockdowns are based on. Well, 
no sights at all really is it um so yeah do have a little look at that if you're you're interested so let's move on then to the main topic let's think about israel and the west okay so i've called this uh, the west versus hamas who are the real terrorists and i think it's important to start by making the point that i'm not talking specifically about israel here i'm not talking specifically about israel it does seem to me that uh, what's happening in israel is kind of like a almost like a proxy really for the western world in general now, you, you can see this that israel is seen very much as a western power now they're allies of the usa the uk they receive a lot of money from um from those countries and you know that the i mean joe biden's been to visit israel i see rishi sunak i think has just been um and and you know so the the, the western world is very much israel is very much aligned with with the western world that's that's what it is i think it's also helpful to distinguish between jews and israel and that's because in these discussions when you talk when you're talking about israel the the the, the shadow of anti-semitism kind of hang, looms very large i mean we're still in you know just about in in living memory of the holocaust and of course it's very difficult to be objective about these things um and i think it's helpful to have a perspective from i I was watching a documentary or not a documentary an interview yesterday with rabbi yakov shapiro i think on the kim iverson show um it's on rumble and i put the link on the screen there i'll try and put it down in the description below as well for you on listening in on the podcast but um he was saying that not all uh, jews see israel as their homeland and i thought what he had to say was really uh, was really helpful and really interesting just looking at a zionism from a a different perspective from a jewish perspective but but this uh, sort of different perspective so um yeah I, I may come back to that on the podcast at a later date but i just wanted to to raise that issue just now to say that it is a complicated a complicating thing um, but it, it does seem to me that the battle that's going on in the Middle East is a battle between sort of Islamist uh, ideology and Western ideology. It's a battle going on between Islamist and Western ideologies. And they're two of the, the big sort of ideologies which are going in the world at the moment, um, perhaps even the biggest, and certainly in this part of the world. Uh, the question that I wanted to ask is then, looking at these two, the, the Westerners and the Islamists, who are the real terrorists in that situation? Are there real terrorists or, 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 or can, what can we say about it? So let's look at a definition of terrorism to begin with then. This is just quoting here from the dictionary. Definition one, the unlawful use of violence or threats to intimidate or coerce a civilian population or government with the goal of furthering political, social or ideological objectives. Or number two, the state of fear and submission produced by terrorism. So it's the unlawful use of violence or threats 
to intimidate or coerce a civilian population or government with a particular goal, which with it political, social or ideological. Or the state or it could be the state of fear and submission produced by terrorism. So um, that is what's what's being referred to. So just let's just hold that in mind as we think about what's been happening. So let's ask the question then, who has been engaging in terrorism? And uh, of course, you know, the, the, on, the, um, on Twitter, or X I should call it, online, then there's been a big furore about the BBC not calling Hamas a terrorist group, but calling them militants. And I think that it does seem to me that Hamas, it's, you know, they are a terrorist group. It seems that using violence is part, you know, just part and parcel of what they do. And, you know, killing and murdering babies, abducting civilians and so on and so forth. I mean, that's a terror campaign. That's not, that's not um, war. That's not just war. But think about the Western world and what the Western world has done. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been making reference to 9-11. And um, you, I mean, if you've been following this, you'll know that 9-11, it seems the evidence is quite overwhelming, actually, that 9-11 was some kind of inside job that Western governments, at the very least, uh, knew about it. And actually, it looks like they aided in the the destruction of the towers you know that, that they didn't come down naturally um and that's that's what i've i've come to with looking at the eyewitness reports and so on so this act of terrorism here who was the real terrorist when it came to 911 was it you know al qaeda or was it those who aided and abetted them i mean you know whether it was a they were genuine uh, terrorists, which, you know, the White House and, and so on just kind of leapt on to, uh, and aided or whether it was. I mean, however it happened, it seems that the the Western powers kind of knew it was going to happen and allowed it to happen. Now, who's the real terrorist in that situation? Who's the real terrorist there? The one who does the does something bad or the one who lets it happen and the one who aids and abets. I, I mean, however, however you want to put it. It does not look good. And you think about it. Why is it that the USA were previously supporting the Mujahideen um, Operation Cyclone? And there's a picture there. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see there's a picture of Reagan with the these um, Afghan Mujahideen. These are these um, kind of warriors against it was because they were against the Soviets back in the 1980s that was why they supported uh, supported them and um, some actually say that um, that Osama bin Laden was trained by the CIA um, as part of this although that's disputed I mean as it always is um, but it does you know why would you support a terrorist organization even if it, it, its goals aligned with your own. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it does seem that the West supports terrorists when it's, you know, the goals of the terrorists align with their own values. So where is the, where's the moral high ground there? I think about the war on terror. 
know, you think about what happened as a result of 9-11, that the Western world went on a rampage through much of the world. Well, what, can anyone tell me anything good that has come out of the war on terror? Can anyone tell me, you know, what it's really achieved? Because it seems like, you know, I mean, OK, Saddam Hussein was toppled. You know, nobody, of course, misses Saddam. But it's illegal to go to war for regime change. So why? You know, it, it, it's just this kind of um, it's this kind of self-justification. We'll come on to that. Um, and, you know, as it says in, in the Bible, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19 verse 18. Not taking revenge is a key part of Christian, kind of Judeo-Christian values. Uh, retaliation is not a reason to go to war. And, you know, that that's the thing, isn't it? That if we look at the war on terror, if we look at what's happened post 9-11 in the Western world, and even before that, you know, can we say, put a hand on our heart and say, I believe that the Western world were acting with what what was righteous, what was good, what was just. Um, I'll just leave that question hanging for a moment. Then if we move on to Israel and Hamas, kind of like I was talking about last week, it does seem there are some questions about how could one of the most advanced intelligence um, corps in, in the world kind of not understand what was going to happen and not be ready for it and take hours to respond why why was that how could that have been the case and it it seems you know i mean people talk about false flag operations and but i think there is a question mark there you know or at least was it at least managed in some case and in which case were was the state of israel sort of in a sense using the terrorists and in which case, who are the real terrorists in that situation? The terrorists who did the atrocities or the ones who let them do it? You know, it, it, again, there are these kind of... I, I don't think it's a simple thing. And then, of course, if we... I mean, I'm sorry, I could go on for hours about this, but the last thing I wanted to mention on this is if we turn not to, you know, direct terrorism as what we would normally call terrorism, but think about COVID, think about what Spy B said... You know, the um, uh, the behavioural insights team on SAGE, who said the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard hitting emotional messaging. The usage of fear tactics to control the population. Is that not in some way, it doesn't use violence, but is that not in some way terrorism actually creating fear? Because that's what terrorists want to do, isn't it? To create fear, to control people, to further their ideological objectives. Was that not what SAGE, that Spy B, were doing, were encouraging the government to do? And you could add to that going on about vaccines, coercing people into taking a, a, a medical product which had not been tested thoroughly and properly, where there were problems. You know, you, you, could, you could just go on and on about this. Um, so I asked the question again, who is the one who's been engaging in terrorism. And it seems to me that uh, the Western world is just as guilty as the, the Islamists in, a, uh, in, in many ways. So let me quote you here from Carl Benjamin. Carl Benjamin, a.k.a. 
Sargon of Akkad. And um, he's not well known from the, the Lotus Eaters podcast. Um, and he, he often has uh, good things to say. He did a good interview um, the other day with um, uh, oh, Calvin Robinson. Uh, I enjoyed that. Now, let me quote you. He wrote a quite a long thing on X Twitter. And let me just read you what he said. The main problem this presents to the current Western American world order is that it is predicated on consent. The West claims to desire a peaceful and stable world in which human rights are protected and nations may prosper as long as they respect certain rules. The implication that underpins the legitimacy of said rules is that they are fair and any party should be able to find adequate redress given any wrongs done to them. When it is demonstrated that the rule of human rights is actually a fiction that is used to keep the rest of the world quiet, then this system comes to an end. Now, I think he is again on the money here that human rights, the Western world says, yes, we, we uphold human rights. We, we are a human rights society. And, you know, we make a big song and dance about being a human rights kind of society. But as he says, when it's demonstrated that it's a fiction, then, you know, that that undermines the entire system of human rights and, and what we want uh, for the world, what the Western project is trying to do in the world. So he goes on to say, the erosion of this system has, of course, been happening for many years now. Various pretexts have been used many times to justify a breach of the doctrine of human rights, and this has been grudgingly accepted because the benefits of the Western world order have outweighed the damage done by these exercises of power disguised as moral crusades. However, we have arrived at a position where, in fact, the United States has been economically attacking other states after deliberately and systematically attempting to erode their standing in the world based on our own perceived moral superiority. This has created a massive upset in the global economic order and forced the dis uh, disparate opponents of the West into an economic coalition with one another, whilst massively weakening America's allies. So what he says here, I think is, I mean, talk about nail on the head. I think this is absolutely that the West has been undermining human rights and perhaps in the past it may have been possible to justify that by looking at saying saying there are benefits of the western world order but he says it's no longer possible anymore you know that the west is just going to war in various different ways trying to undermine other countries and and exercising its power and authority illegitimately and it has undermined human rights it has undermined the moral foundation that it has tried to that it has created over many years and he says that the west has lost its moral legitimacy and i think he's absolutely right on that i think the western world has absolutely lost its moral legitimacy completely so let me move now to c.s lewis um this is well, this is from a letter that he wrote, um, and I'll put the link on the, the next slide, um, and I'll try and remember to put the link down below as well, those of you who want to click through it and read it. But let me read you 
what he says. And he's talking here about theocracy. That is um, government by, well, government by God, but government by, you know, the, I suppose you could say the church or religious institution, uh, theocracy. So this is what C.S. Lewis said. I am a Democrat because I believe that no man or group of men is good enough to be trusted with uncontrolled power over others. And the higher the pretensions of such power, the more dangerous I think it both to rulers and to the subjects. Hence theocracy is the worst of all governments. If we must have a tyrant, a robber baron is far better than an inquisitor. The baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, his cupidity at some point may be sated, and since he dimly knows he is doing wrong, he may possibly repent. But the inquisitor who mistakes his own cruelty and lust of power and fear for the voice of heaven will torment us infinitely more because he torments us with the approval of his own conscience and his better impulses appear to him as temptations. I mean, what a quote. But you think about all of the things going on in the world at the moment. You think about the World Health Organization and their power grab and so on. They are doing it with the blessing of their own conscience because they believe they are on the side of the good, as do the Islamists. They believe they're on the side of God and on the side of good. And that's the problem. As C.S. Lewis says, it's the worst of all governments because they they commit tyranny in the name, with the blessing of their own conscience and, and their better impulses just appear as temptations. Um, I think it's, you know what we were thinking about Satan uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and how Satan disguises himself as an angel of light because he knows that that's actually a far better strategy. That if Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, that people will serve him uh, far more diligently. Uh, let me quote, carry on with the C.S. Lewis quote. And since theocracy is the worst, the nearer any government approaches to theocracy, the worse it will be. A metaphysic held by the rulers with the force of a religion is a bad sign. It forbids them, like the Inquisitor, to admit any grain of truth or good in their opponents. It abrogates the ordinary rules of morality and it gives a seemingly high superpersonal sanction to all the very ordinary human passions by which, like other men, the rulers will frequently be actuated. In a word, it forbids wholesome doubt. A political programme can never, in reality, be more than probably right. We never know all the facts about the present, and we can only guess the future. To attach to a party programme, whose highest claim is to reasonable prudence, the sort of assent which we should reserve for demonstrable theorems, is a kind of intoxication. C.S. Lewis here, again, I think, um, smashing that nail on the head. But he says that the, a theocratic government, those who believe they're on the side of God, will never question themselves, because they believe they are doing God's will. And therefore, they are unable to actually question whether they are doing wrong at all. And I think this is so true of our current Western government. I mean, it's true of the Islamists, isn't it? You know, the Islamists think that they are doing God's will, and that's quite explicit. But I think our Western governments also, there is a lack of 
self-reflection. There is a lack of questioning. They just seem to believe that they are morally superior to everybody else. And that justifies them in doing whatever they want, regardless of morality. It's a very dangerous place to be. And I know that I'm, I'm quoting from a lot of different people today, but um, i just like to also... Uh, this is the third and final quote, by the way. I'd just like to quote from Mike Ovi. Um, those of you who've been long-time listeners of the podcast, again, will know Mike Ovi was the, the late principal of my theological college. And um, he wrote a piece for the Cambridge Papers in 2006 called Victim Chic, The Rhetoric of Victimhood. And actually, just as I was rereading this earlier, I thought, this is so good. I think this should be I think this is probably one of his most important the most important things that he wrote actually the most insightful and um it made me think I did a a, a podcast a few weeks ago about um about you know accusations and I should have quoted from this article and I think maybe I'll come back to this next week come back to it in in full but what Mike does in the piece is he uh, looks at things from the perspective of what's called the Karpman victim or drama triangle. So this is a tool for analysing interactions. It was developed, I think, it might have been a, a psychologist or sociologist, but looking at interactions between people. And he says that you can analyse it with this victim triangle, where there are three roles. There's the victim, there's the persecutor, and there's the rescuer. The victim, the persecutor and the rescuer and what tends to happen is that someone can cast themselves into one of those roles such as the victim and this is what he he's talking about in the article how people can cast themselves as a victim and and that that puts people in the other the other roles so let me quote you uh, a couple of things of what he said this is one paragraph however this power associated with victim status can be shared. I may cast myself as a white knight, succoring the victim against the victimizer. Analysts rightly comment about the Cartman Triangle that a rescuer may have mixed motives in assuming that role. For a white knight's actions are also cloaked with innocence and righteousness as he battles the victimizer. And like the victim, he can enjoy the benefits of non-accountability. The interests of white knight and victim may not be identical, but can coincide, both benefiting from depicting a third party as victimizer deserving punishment. Thus, the American Democratic Party has been criticised with elevating victim groups so as to cast itself as a hero in this way. I think that's interesting, particularly at the end mentioning the, the Democrats. But I think this is completely... Uh, right that you know when someone casts themselves as the victim they free themselves from the need to be accountable and also the rescuer does the same thing and i wonder is is there something of this dynamic happening with uh, israel and hamas at the moment uh, or is this this kind of thing happening perhaps more widely in the western world and certainly you can see it happening all over the place amongst the woke, can't you? You know, that um, if, if someone claims to be a victim, all of a sudden, then that's, you know, they are morally um, oh, morally spotless, if you like. You can't question them. 
I think there it is happening on a bigger scale as well. And Mike actually gives some examples of how this has happened in the past. Uh, like I said, I, I may come back to this next week. But let me quote, just quote you another uh, couple of paragraphs um, which are also, also relevant to this. This suggests that to cast myself as a victim, I characterise another as victimizer. To be best seen as victim, I need another to be seen as victimizer. I am the casting director, awarding myself victim status, the innocent target, and casting my opponent as demonic, evil victimizer. My actions against him are righteous, his against me, wicked. Such self adjudication is closer to Western thought and therefore easier than we might imagine. J.J. Rousseau, a notable influence on Romanticism, models this process. In answering charges of immorality against him, notably overplacing his children in orphanages, Rousseau suggests first, a man's goodness is not weighed by his outward actions. His actions may appear one thing, but in fact are not. Thus, in the Confessions, Rousseau acknowledges acts of theft, but insists he is not a thief. Secondly, a man is weighed by his intentions and motives. Rousseau knows his intentions were pure, so he acquits himself of wrongdoing. He acquits himself. No wonder one apologetic work is titled Rousseau, the judge of Jean Jacques. No one else could be the judge. Rousseau has unique access to his inner state, and Rousseau has already ruled out evaluating someone's true character by external actions. So I think this is so profound here that what Jean-Jacques Rousseau was was doing was acquitting himself by saying, firstly, you can't judge a man by the actual external actions. You have to judge him by his intentions. And then saying, well, I only know my intentions, therefore I acquit myself and everyone else is just victimising me. And you think about how this applies in the situation with the Western world at the moment. You know, the Western world, uh, in some perhaps um, you know, aids and abets terrorism, you know, goes to war, uh, whatever you might call it, engages in in acts of violence in one way, shape, or form. And the Western world says, "Well, we have to acquit ourselves. Don't look at the acts themselves." Don't look at the violence. Don't look at the terrorism. Because look at our motives. Our motives are pure. Our motives are righteous. It's the greater good. And and this is how the West excuses itself and portrays itself as a hero while demonising the other. It's that exact same dynamic. And it, it's, it's happening all over the world. But the Western world is um, just as guilty of it as anyone else. So let's compare then the West and Hamas. Let's compare. Um, I saw an interesting thing earlier saying that you know the Islamists, of course, they they want um, to dominate the world. You know they want their ideology to go all around the world, and I thought that was a good place to start. You know, wants to promote its ideology around the world, but of course that's what the West wants to do as well, doesn't it? it seems, and this is what Graham McQueen was saying a couple of weeks ago in the documentary about 9-11, that the West had a policy of wanting to exert its influence, particularly America, had a policy of wanting to extend its influence into the 21st century. 
So they want to promote their own ideology around the world. Both tick. They both see themselves as being on the side of God, justice and righteousness. So, as we've already seen with theocracy, that both the West and the Islamists see themselves as being on the side of right and good. The difference is, of course, that um, the Western world comes from a Christian background, uh, whereas the Islamists are coming from, a, of course, a Muslim Islamic background. But they both see themselves as being the bearers of truth, goodness and righteousness, everything good basically. And therefore, they both see their enemies to be morally degraded. They both see their enemies to be evil and demonic, um, whoever that, that might be. They are both willing to perpetrate acts of terrorism to further their own agenda. As, I, um, as I've already said, that you know, in the West case, it tends to be more covert rather than overt um, but nonetheless it seems that the west is happy to make use of terrorists when it suits its own agenda and to make use of war when it suits its own agenda um, whereas hamas are you know well at least they're more explicit about it and that's the final thing that i've that i put here to do all the above whilst pretending to care about morality and human rights that's the difference between them you see, Hamas don't pretend to care about human rights. Hamas don't pretend to have a love-your-neighbour approach. Whereas the West does. The West is claiming to be the, the Christian moral ones. And yet they are acting in an immoral way. And it's the, actually, I think it's that hypocrisy which makes the West worse. And it's it's interesting, really, how I um, one of the things that uh, you read when you come to read the prophets in of the Old Testament is that the the people of of Israel were, um, and of course, you know, again, distinguishing between the Israel of the Old Testament and the Israel, the modern state of Israel, but the Israel of the Old Testament were often criticised for for hypocrisy you know they 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 turned away from god you know they offered the sacrifices and they did the religious duties while at the same time they were doing things which were worse than the nations around them and that's why god brought judgment upon them and i wonder if we are facing a similar situation today with the western world this sort of post-christian world that we've inherited we are doing things which are just as bad if not worse as the rest of the world, and we are doing it while pretending that we are righteous and moral. It's disgraceful, isn't it, when you think about it? Let me offer up a word here on anti-Semitism, because I know that I've I've um, mentioned it once at the start, and, and again, I don't want to deal in full with this here. But it, I think it does play into this, again, this... Um, you know the West portraying itself as being the moral ones here, taking a, you know taking a moral stand against Hamas. You think about what's been happening in in London and other cities and a lot of Western cities over the last couple of weeks, pro-Palestine protests. And there's a picture I've got on on the YouTube there if you're watching, 
uh, of people protesting saying with a banner saying palestine will be free from the river to the sea which um people i mean people like brendan o'neill and others have said you know this is a call for ethnic cleansing you know for effect effectively getting rid of all of the jews but you know if you look at what's been happening i mean you've you've got jewish schools in london who are telling children not to wear their blazer for fear of anti-semitic attacks and so on and yes i mean that that is horrific that's awful we must stand against anti-semitism and hatred of of jews of course and violence against jews of course we must but you think about it who has been clamoring for the kind of diverse society which allows people into the country who hate israel and who hate the jews is the West able to take the moral high ground in this situation, especially the left, when they are the ones who have been wanting more of it, who have been wanting more people in the country, who are from these backgrounds who and ideologies who hate Jews and who are anti-Semitic? Because you know Islamism is one of the things, it is explicitly anti-Christian and anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. And yet... You know, we've had our elites for the last 20, 30 years saying we want more of it. Can the West really take its moral high ground in this situation? Uh, who, who are the real anti-Semites? And you know, again, I think the finger points very much back to, to the elites and to the people who have been wanting more and more uh, of this. Let me, uh, let me finish just by thinking about whose side in inverted commas we should be on and i was rather struck actually i read um earlier on this quote from uh, dr ahmad malik who says it's not about whether you are on team israel or team palestine there is in fact a third option team humanity and i rather like that team humanity and i think that's the team that we should be on um a few years ago, I read a book called These Brothers of Mine by Rob Dalrymple. And um, it's sort of looking at the Bible and looking at how Christian Zionism is misplaced. It's it's not you know supportable from the Bible. Um, this kind of uncritical support of the nation state of Israel as it is today. Um, he says you can't get that from, from the Bible. And what the, the title of the book, These Brothers of Mine, is actually taken from the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And Jesus is referring there to Christians. And one of the things which is so important to point out is that there are Christians in Palestine as there are Christians in Israel. There are Christians on both sides. And as Christians, we should be wanting what's best for them, standing with them and wanting and we want peace. No, it's not about taking a side per se. It's about wanting peace. And just to, if you want to hear actually from um, some Christians in that area, I watched a documentary. It's available on YouTube. It was produced by Al Jazeera. And as YouTube helpfully points out, Al Jazeera is in part funded by Qatar so of course they are not going to be pro-Israel uh, but nonetheless I thought you know this this woman who, who goes she does interview 
uh, Christians in Palestine and um, you know looks at what's happening in Bethlehem and that's the documentary actually why are Palestinian Christians leaving Jesus's birthplace and there's a, a second part as well about uh, evangelical supporting Israel but if you'd like to see some interviews with people and see you know what's happening and see things from a kind of alternative perspective I thought that was uh, that was really uh, really interesting so yeah um, I mean like I said go go ahead and cancel you know but I think we have to be free to talk about these issues we have to be free to talk about you know it's not about uncritically supporting anyone but we have to we have to be ready to acknowledge flaws in our own team as much as we condemn terrorism and I suppose to say you know when I condemn terrorism we have to condemn terrorism on all sides not just the terrorism of Hamas and perhaps that's the sharp edge for us in the West, isn't it? You know, we have to condemn all terrorism, not just the terrorism of Hamas. And that's why I can't stand with, you know, the pro-Palestine um, people, because I think as much as they have a point, you know, that the, the levels of... I can't rejoice at what Hamas did. Of course not. You know, it, it was it was brutal. It was, it was abominable, abominable. At the same time... I can't stand uncritically with Israel and with the Western world either, you know, but we have to be ready to acknowledge um, the truth and, and the, the, the nuance and the complexities, you know, that nothing is ever black and white. So resist anyone who tries to say it's all black and white. That's, I suppose that's a, that's a good message to finish with, isn't it? Resist anyone who tries to tell you it's all black and white. Um, and do your own research. <laughs> okay, let me finish... Um, talking about finishing well I'm just going to finish with a, a quote here from the Bible and it's only a short quote today but it's kind of relevant to what we've been talking about because um, something about you know that the, the need to look to ourselves and not just to others I think that's that's really important and this quote here from the Bible is is about that this is at Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 like I said, just a short quote. Let me let me read it out. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now think about what we said, what Jean-Jacques Rousseau said. No one can judge me, only I can judge. But actually, as the Bible says, the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God will judge both Hamas and Israel and the Western world and all of us. And that's the thing, that there is there is a moral standard there is a truth which we must um, adhere to and, and hold to uh, and and this is this is the point isn't it that at the end of the day the word of god will judge me will judge you will judge will judge everyone and we have to give account to god as it says um, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account 
And, you know, it's so it's so easy, I think, in the world today to paint oneself as a, a victim and to absolve oneself of any responsibility, to paint another as the hero. And again, they don't have to be accountable because they're the hero. But actually, as as uh, as the, the passage said, that we must all give account to God and that the word of God will judge all of us. And we're all held to the same standards. So it's no good pointing the finger at someone else and saying, well, you're guilty of this, when actually you yourself are guilty of, of the same thing. Um, that we have to recognise, firstly, that there is a judge of all. And it's only when we do that that we actually are in a position to make moral judgments and to be able to um, to, to act in this world in a moral and right way. And I think, you know, the Western world, we can only ever um, make any progress in the Western world when we begin to, or when we recognise again this truth. You know, we used to recognise it, I think, but we will only make any progress in the Western world when we start recognising it again, that we must all give account to God and that the word of God will uh, or judge us and it is alive and active you know it is a, a a word which is which is true and which is you know speaks to us uh, and met countless christians through the years can testify you know that the word of god speaks to us in a way that no other book can and so you know i just like to finish by saying if you're someone who's coming to you know perhaps not from a christian background you're perhaps exploring still christianity i know some people um, have said that, that that's the case, listen to the podcast, then do read the Bible. You know, don't just assume that you know it, but read it. Listen to what Jesus says. Read the Gospels. You know, read the New Testament. Uh, read the Old Testament. You know, just listen to what it says and listen for the voice of God because God speaks today through the Bible. Okay, I think that's that's um, me done for the podcast. So let's just take a moment to pray and ask for God to help us and especially in these deep waters you know where it's, it's very difficult to say anything without being accused of something or other so let's pray and ask for God's help in in just fearlessly seeking the truth and um, the truth at the end of the day is what will set us free let's pray and so heavenly father we pray that you would help us to be fearless truth seekers and Lord we don't want to to go somewhere just because it's uh, popular we don't want to go the opposite way just because we want to avoid what's popular. But we want the truth, Lord. We want uh, your truth. We want to seek where you are and we want to see things rightly and to judge rightly. And we pray that you would help us to judge not by appearances, but to think carefully, to um, to, to look at uh, look at the evidence, to look at the truth. And uh, we pray that you would guide us by your spirit uh, in the right ways. And uh, we pray, especially in the Israel uh, and Hamas conflict that's happening just right now. We pray, Lord, for peace. And we pray for um, these brothers uh, of ours, these brothers and sisters, Christians in Palestine, Christians in Israel, who are uh, suffering particularly at the moment, and pray that they would bring salt, bring light. And uh, we ask for your comfort. And uh, we pray, Lord, just against violence, and ask that you would help us to be people of peace, people who proclaim your peace wherever we are. And we pray these things and for your blessing in this coming week. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. Don't forget, leave a comment. Uh, if you'd like to, telegram me, email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. Uh, there's the Buy Me a Coffee link. And, um, yeah, apart from that, I look forward to seeing you again soon. In the meantime, God bless. <laughs>